डियर लिसनर्स साईराम वेलकम टू अवर रेडियो सीरीज आफनून सत्संग दिस इज अ डिस्कशन बिटवीन रेडियो साइज प्रेम एंड अरविंद ऑन डिफरेंट स्पिरिचुअल टॉपिक्स एवरी थर्सडे ऑन एशिया स्ट्रीम यू कैन एंजॉय दिस लाइव कॉन्वर्सेशन इट्स फ्रॉम ट्वेल्व थर्टी पी एम टू टू पी एम इंडियन स्टैंडर्ड टाइम टूडेज एपिसोड वॉज फर्स्ट फीचर्ड एज पार्ट ऑफ थर्सडे लाइव ऑन फेब्रुवरी सेवेंथ Dear listeners this is Prem from Team Radio Sai here to offer you this week's afternoon satsang Every week I would be joined by brother Arvind and we together would host this afternoon satsang for you but today for a change I have a special guest with me who is going to share the studio with me and share this one and a half hours which is coming by with all of you and it is with great pressure that I invite my colleague my senior from college brother Hari Shankar Sairam Hari Sairam Prem thank you uh, for having me on yeah and before uh, we go on with the satsang and the topic i would uh, like to introduce hari to you hari is not a stranger to radio sai i think he's been on thursday live before he has been with ragu explaining some of the uh, service initiatives of the central trust uh, hari is one of the brilliant minds in the ashram i could say he's an iitian who came over to do his master of business administration at bhagwan's college and Uh, right now i think since 2003 he's been serving uh, at the shri satyasai central trust in various capacities and it is indeed an honor to have him here and we hope to have a very very beautiful and a fruitful afternoon satsang with you hari definitely prem uh, i think there's a lot in store for listeners uh, with this session so as always before anything else as it is uh, rightly done and rightly said let us offer our most humble and loving pranams at bhagwan's lotus feet and pray that he guides our minds and guides our words to say what he wants us to say so hari uh, what topic do you bring to our stage today yeah and uh, today satsang will be taking up a topic that is usually considered very abstruse very difficult for our minds to deal with <laughs> okay and but i think it is something that we should all really consider because it leads to a very practical ways of dealing with some situations in our lives okay so in a sense that something very abstruse we will be trying to reduce to something that is practical mm-hmm. and can be applied in our daily lives yeah i think that's most important because it's becoming a trend now people are talking of applying spirituality to daily life because anything which is on the shelf has no value to us because we want something which can be applied which can better our lives and i feel whatever swami has said whatever message swami has given be it service be it selflessness be it uh, you know bhajans namasmarana whatever it is i think it has a very very deep connection to our daily life a way we can you know utilize it in our daily life to make our lives better to make our minds calmer so which aspect of swami's teachings or in general spirituality are we going to talk about today yeah prem before actually go on to that i just wanted to state that maybe it is just our mistake that we don't recognize that spirituality is embedded is uh, is part of everything that we do and uh, swami in many of his discourses he he did mention that it is our mistake that we separate mm. spirituality okay. and our daily lives so philosophy or spirituality is not meant to be an armchair uh, theory just for a coffee table discussion 
it is more something that we apply to our daily lives to get more clarity into the way we deal right. with people Actually, and the most way we often deal with we situations uh most often we kind of implement some of these teachings in daily life without exactly. our knowledge exactly. and i think what we have to do is see keenly and observe what we are doing why we are doing some things some things what we do intuitively some things we do uh, spontaneously and see why we do it and maybe try to extend that wisdom to all our actions exactly in fact it should be a constant endeavor that the spirituality that uh, we read about it should not uh, you know shut down the moment we close the book exactly it should be something that takes off right after we have closed the book and we lead our lives in that yeah, change manner and, and coming from an engineer that does have a lot of wisdom behind yeah, it yeah <laughs> application <laughs> that's what i'm very interested about okay so what will be taking on today we will be taking on some aspects of the advaita philosophy and deriving some lessons that we can use in our daily life in other words we'll be using advaita as a torch that we can shine on onto what we do daily the life as we live it daily and see what it throws up in what ways can we improve the quality of our lives or the way we lead our lives from the consistent with the aspects of advaita and philosophy because that's very interesting because you know the general perception is advaita is for somebody who is well fed well taken care of and who yes. has no other things to worry about in uh, it it happens in most of the cases when yeah it's considered very intellectual it's considered very abstruse and so it will be our endeavor to somehow break that that uh, illusion about this concept because it is very exciting to, uh, as something that the world needs is what i hold it as so let us really so go into start what with, is advaita yeah, the like term advaita the term advaita yes so advaita is a sanskrit word which literally means not to right so or in other words uh, the one without a second there is no to so it is one of the philosophical systems and it it has grown out of the upanishadic teaching so in the vedas we find uh, references to certain uh, ways of thinking which has then been codified into what today we know as the advaita philosophy okay and to a large extent one of the greatest proponents of the advaita philosophy has been adi shankaracharya right. who uh, really went around uh, the whole length and the breadth of this country spreading the philosophy of advaita at a time when hinduism had devolved into something which, which was, was very ritualistic very ritualistic right. one way of looking at it is people were not applying their mind they were doing things in a mechanistic manner so he revived the upanishadic tradition the tradition of examining one's life uh, in the light of the teachings of the sages very the beautiful intuition. because even upanishads upanishads are called vedanta vedanta that yes. which come as a culmination to all vedas yes, yes. and it was a time it is scenario you know when people were so engrossed in the in the ritualistic aspect of vedas and i think uh, adi shankara came and revived that vedantic aspect of vedas yes the upanishads as we call the mahavakyas yeah and, and all of them point towards non dualism yes non dualism and uh, one thing that we should note is that it did not denounce rituals as it were right and uh, that is the same thing that swami says that the rituals have a significance inner significance behind them every mantra has an inner significance behind them so it is our duty to contemplate not merely recite or not merely parrot out what we have learned it is our duty to contemplate on what was said and then apply it in our daily lives so a little deeper as to what is advaita 
so advaita in one sentence one of the famous uh, statements that we find brahma satyam jagan mithya jeevo brahmai vana apara okay. so it, it states that there is only one reality that is called the brahman and this is the absolute reality the world that we see around us is unreal mm-hmm. and that the jeeva that is what we perceive as the individual, individual soul. soul so so prem is one soul hari is one soul the listener is another soul so this is posited to be false so they say that these are all expressions of the one brahman so that's why brahma satyam that is brahman is the is alone own, true is the absolute reality jagan mithya the world you see is unreal exactly jeevo brahmaiva na apara the individual soul and the ultimate soul are not separate from each they other they are not separate from each other so in other words the individual we refer to as i so there is like i refer to myself as i right. and as prem you refer to yourself as i so we oh, very dramatically swami would uh, demonstrate this in doing giving a discourse swami would say if i ask who is anil kumar he would say i if i ask who is hari he would say i yeah. if i ask who is krishna somebody will say i so everybody is responding with the same same i exactly you know so, same representation yeah so that is taking us to where we are leading and the fact that the world that we see around us is constantly subject to change what okay. do i mean by that so even the prem that you are okay the prem that you, you you said you call yourself i but the i that existed at the time of your birth which existed at the time of your childhood the i you refer to you now in your youth but the concept that you have of yourself keeps changing right so you you see yourself at one time as a young adult at another time as an old person sometimes as a frightened person sometimes as a bold person but this is all in the background of something that is unchanging which is the i and not only the i unchanging for you it is unchanging for all the people around you so what we see is basically an illusion so the only reality is brahman which is unchanging so do you remember the analogy of the ocean that swami used to give uh, to describe this right you know swami would often say that the ocean is one but yes. it sometimes forms waves yes but the waves still don't become separate from the ocean yes the waves still are the ocean yes though they have a different uh, appearance and for a momentary they have even a different existence existence exactly so you see the wave that rises it plays around for a while then on subsides. the surface of the water and then subsides but at no time is it different from the ocean so this is how advaita asks us to consider the world the world is like something that arises out of a substratum they call the brahman it arises and then falls uh, back into being so the what we see as the world around us is basically a dream that happens to us for some time right well, i think and that's the, the best subsides. way to you know consider this whole thing like when you are asleep when you have a dream mm-hmm. the whole dream comes out of you exactly and again merges back into you and it just is a momentary existence and then it there is only a limited value it has for you in your wakeful state yes in fact advaita says consider your waking state as another dream as state as a dream exactly so because that dream which you saw in the dream state it only remem- uh, retains as a vague memory in your brain so you're more alive to what is happening right. in the waking so but what they say is that even this is a waking dream and in fact i would like to allude to some of the different ways in which uh, swami has spoken about the concept of advaita 
So let me sort of uh, jog your memory. Do you remember what Swami used to do yeah, with no, the handkerchief? It's, it's yeah. a very, very fascinating analogy which Swami <coughs> used. And yeah. I would say it's one of the first analogies which really struck me. Mm-hmm. Because till then Advaita was something which was so, so alien. But when Swami said it this way, it just struck me like, how didn't this occur to me before? Yes. Like, you know, when Swami picks up a handkerchief and he says, this is my handkerchief. And then he dramatically drops it and he says, see, I am different from my handkerchief. And similarly, he pinches his you know, hand and he says, this is my body. Mm-hmm. Then how can I be the body? So the body is separate from me. And when yeah. I say my mind, my mind should be separate from my mind. For what I really am. From who I really am. Exactly. So, in fact, he takes this a little further. So when he says, now there is this person who is apart from the body and the mind. So what he says is, this is the I. And now he asks us to consider further that this I of course exists in the waking state and to some extent lies dormant but it is there in the dream state also. Right. But there is a state beyond the waking and the dream which is the what we call in scientific language as deep sleep. Deep sleep. Dream would be REM. So this is a deep sleep. So in the deep sleep Swami asks us to inquire where is this I? So what this Consciousness or Brahman is that which exists even prior to the concept of I itself. So, I arises right after as an offshoot of the consciousness or Brahman. Right. So, that is the inquiry. So, what is the spiritual practice? In practice, what is Advaita? So, what we spoke about till now is the philosophy. The concept. Yes. So, we are looking for, okay, now what can, how do I practice this in our daily life? So, what does Advaita really propound as a practice? So they say that the Advaita philosophy says that our sadhana, our spiritual practice is to drop off the identification with our body and with the mind. And how do we do this? By constantly inquiring like who am I? So that is the basis of all Advaitic uh, sadhana that the inquiry as to who I am really. So we tend to identify ourselves like I say that I am Hari Shankar. I am an engineer or now I am working in Sri Sati Sai Central Trust. So, this is the kind of identification that we have with who we are and the concept of Advaita basically is to keep inquiring as to whether it is true or not. A right? simple uh, analogy which somebody shared with me is like, suppose you are travelling from a place to another mm-hmm. and you have a stopover at a particular station. And you're well aware that, you know, that is a stopover. I'm going to be here for a while and then I'm going to move on. Exactly. But then when you sit there, if you start feeling oneness with the station, Station. and suppose you're calling a friend who's sitting at another station, and you're trying to battle with him saying that my station is better than your station. You say, I'm cleaner than you. You know, I'm more sophisticated than you. Actually, you are at a point where, you know, you're going to move on. That is not what you are. That is just a stopover for you. That's so beautiful. Very well illustrated, Prem. Honestly. So, now... As I said, as we were saying till now, Advaita philosophy is something that was born out of the Upanishads or in in short the Vedas. But actually, Advaita, the system, this, this form of thinking, these concepts are to be found in the various religions. Like right. if, if we look at uh, Christianity. So you, yeah, Swami, that Swami says give, it very often thing, mm-hmm. of, you know, the journey of Jesus Christ. Yes. He said when he first came and he declared himself as a messiah, he said, I am the messenger of God. Yes. And then he, over years, he went on to say that, you know, uh, I am the son of God. My father is, 
in the heavens and I am the son of God. Yes. And eventually he said, my father and I are one. Yes. So this statement, I and my father are one. So this is what Swami refers to as being the state of Advaita, where you don't consider yourself as separate from God and you see that you and God are one. In fact, not only are you and God one, you and the world, the world around you, you identify yourself as being one with the world, one with everything. And as the Upanishads say, Sa yaschayam purushe yaschasava ditye sa ekaha If you really consider it, it, it is a very mind-blowing okay. concept. What is the meaning of that one? Yes. So, it is a very mind-blowing concept that mm-hmm. uh, what the Vedas are saying is take this puny man on earth okay. and take that magnificent, that sun, that bright glowing sun. Okay. So, generally, we these two, there is no connection between the two. You say that actually the sun is the one that is fostering that man. But what the Upanishad is saying is that these two are one. Now try to wrap your mind around that. <laughs> like how many times bigger is the sun as considered as relative to the earth itself and how many times bigger is earth relative to that man. Yet the Upanishads are making that connection that these two are one. And that is the enquiry we have to go into. Why did the sage say that these two are one and the same? And it's also interesting that you know the same Vedas which declare sun as a god, you know, sun as the benevolent uh, yes. a master who is showering you know what man needs what nature needs and yes. here is the upanishad you know the culmination or the crux of the vedas saying that the same the man and, and the sun is are one. are one and it it is not again as i said it the same thought is to be found in different religions you take this very famous uh, story in jewish tradition okay of moses so moses uh, in his travels he he encounters uh, a burning bush right and uh, mount sinai yeah mount sinai so then he questions at burning bush his question is who are you okay. and see the answer the answer is i am that i am he doesn't say i am god i am the almighty or, or ha i am the almighty <laughs> i am your father none of that it says i am that i am and that is again like we have to start inquiring as to who that i am is In it's, fact, the word Yahweh. It's a deep sleep state. Swami describes the deep sleep state as yes. You, you are not even existent to say I am I this. I am exactly. It's just that uh, state of isness. Yes. As some people put it. Yes. So Yahweh, as as the uh, the okay, deity, that's the word. Uh, it means I am. Yahweh. I am. Okay. Yes. It only means I am. That's as simple in Hebrew. That's all it means. And I think what it goes to show is that you know the underlying current, the underlying spirit of all religions. is that oneness, oneness but i think in the process of trying to interpret uh, interpret this idea and to offer it to people to lead their lives in a way mm-hmm. which would you know be coherent and uh, which would bring in harmony in the society i think yes. religions have taken different forms different forms yeah and uh, the zen buddhism that we see today or there are many of these the sufi tradition sufi tradition upanishad tradition you can hardly see any right. difference and of course zen buddhism also they uh, attributed uh, to have been grown out of the upanishadic uh, right. teachings so it is not something that is swami used to say that this is the property of the entire world it's not exclusive to just right. india bharat uh, hindus yeah i remember that once in brindavan just before swami's discourse one of the elders who was speaking mm-hmm. in his talk he said that this is the sai way Okay. This is the Sai philosophy, okay. and uh, he spoke of how Swami speaks of love and all that. And the end of it, Swami, when he gave his discourse, Swami said, 
out of his love he calls it this highway but this is the eternal way yes this is sanatan dharma this is the eternal truth i have not come to give you anything new yes. and it is not right to name it after me exactly so that's why we tend to make this mistake that uh, sanatan dharma advaita they belong only to one particular land the vedas belong only <coughs> to us exactly the vedas belong only to us so that is a actually swami in that sense was so secular he he would not uh, say that the gayatri mantra belongs only to certain set of people right. he said it and these things are it is so true they are consistent with the philosophy of advaita right. oneness each one is equal there is no separate there are no differences between you and i to say that you are entitled to this and you are not entitled to that right so if we can relate to god as being one with us yes there is no question of being there being difference between amongst us yes now we get a little more down to earth okay so if you notice that there are certain emotions like hatred mm-hmm. there is anger there is jealousy so if you notice where are these ideas born from these these kind of thoughts they originate when when you consider as a yourself as a separate individual okay isn't it so if you look at uh, your concept of who you are and who the world is you perceive yourself as an object and all the other things as the objects of the world around you so consistent with that you you feel threatened at times or you know your identity is questioned at times right. is threatened at times so these are the times when you go through emotions what what is known in the scriptures what we commonly in our intuition also we consider them as negative emotions yeah I mean, just breaking <clears throat> that down i think it's very important what you said now in the basis of anything fear comes only when you feel that somebody is going to harm you yes and that is based on the fact that there is somebody who is separate from you exactly and same thing with jealousy when you see somebody having something which you don't have mm-hmm. it, that would pinch you only when you feel that that person is separate from separate you and from you. and what he possesses is not what you possess mm. but if you bring in the idea of everybody being one yes you cannot have something which is not mine not yours yeah and so the jealousy vanishes from there and the same thing with everything hatred or you know when i feel like suppose i i look at you and i feel that you are a part of me mm-hmm. and if you do some harm to me so to say i wouldn't look at it as somebody inflicting something upon me or rather it would be like you know my hand doing something so eventually there'll be a some higher good to it yeah and talk about the opposite emotions the ones you refer commonly in our common parlance we call them positive emotions right i mean uh, let's take <clears throat> something which is the basis of seva okay. let's say sympathy sympathy yes. is a compassion sympathy and compassion i think is born out of that oneness because yes. when you see somebody in pain it hurts you yes when you see somebody starving it hurts you when you, when you see a picture of a starving baby there's something which happens to you because yes. i think you feel that pain yourself even though you are not physically uh, being tormented with that pain yes so even the other qualities let's say something like love right or peace peace equanimity so swami used to hold equanimity as one of the greatest uh, right. qualities of a devotee so where does equanimity so come so all from? these come have the basis on having having some kind of uh, underlying current of oneness yes when you get when you have that intuition that basically there is no there is no separate i then there is no separate say prem manush that is if we are able to really live our lives in that way what are the different fallouts you know you can look at what are the possibilities such exciting possibilities for the world okay so if you see like uh, we have so much strife in this world on the basis of religion 
or on the basis of geography or right. race right my so, land your land my exactly <laughs> so all these all these are on account of differences so these differences are something that dissolve when the light of advaita shines on them putting it in a, a very uh, practical sense mm-hmm. i wouldn't stop trying to get things for myself yes but that wouldn't be at the cost of someone you else. getting anything yes. else or somebody else getting anything else or rather i would try to strive for something which is good for me as well as it is good for you yes not at your cost yeah so the present philosophy the way we think about the world is it's either you or, or me. me right so we have to move into a world that says you and me right so that i feel that advaitic philosophy is definitely an access to that kind of uh, thinking right so the implications for our individual lives you know uh, again the world and uh, harmony in the world may tend to become yeah very abstract bring it down to you know the plane of our existence where we live the life that we lead so you can see that one of the implications that we can think about is better relationships with the people around us mm-hmm. with the people at home and our people those who are around us at work so let us look at uh what are these implications yes sir i think it would be a good point to take a break right now yes because we are actually shifting the gear we have spoken about advaita the concept of advaita what vedanta says about it and uh, now we we did speak of its implications if it is practiced in the level of politics in the level of the harmony in the society but before we come to individualizing this lesson let's just take a short break listen to a beautiful song a very meaningful song and i think quite aptly placed in this in this satsang so we listen to that and when we come back we will continue our discussion great
just as we were listening to that song remind me my lord who i am who i am you know the words that i am true i am bliss i'm reminded of uh, something one of our seniors were telling in a speech he said there are only two emotions in the whole world one is love okay. and the other is fear okay and if you look at both of these as you said love is based on oneness mm-hmm. and fear is completely based on duality exactly in fact uh, i i'm very bad at quoting vedas but one of my teachers once told me that there is a sanskrit shloka which says that all fear comes from duality from the same upanishad where i was quoting so okay. this is bhishasmat vatav pavate bhisho deti surya so essentially yeah so this this is the create that's how fear gets uh, right. created and it is fear that he says they go on to say that fear drives the world their fear drives the sun fear drives <laughs> the wind and uh, so on i mean the and very the fact origin of fear is that sense of separation right which we will be coming to now yes <laughs> okay coming back to the discussion we were thinking of how we can implement or how we can uh, as you said use this torchlight of advaita yeah and better our you know day to day activities and day to day relationships and now yeah. we thought we'll talk about individual relationships uh, but before we come to that one of the most powerful analogies anecdotes or parallels which advaita uh, vedanta uses to describe advaita is that of a rope in the dark and we've yes. heard it from swami also a number of times very beautiful analogy very, very powerful analogy very powerful yeah. analogy it's i think and its power lies in its simplicity yes as just we were talking about that swami throwing the handkerchief this is one like that when you see it and you a whole world of understanding opens when we just listen to this analogy it says that you know as you're walking through a dark alley you see a rope lying there and the moment you see the rope the first thing which comes to your mind is there's a snake there in the moment you think it's a snake you're thinking should i run behind or you know should i just stay still and let the snake pass or you know there is fear or you might be thinking about your uh, medical insurance or whatever you know there's 100 things running in your mind and swami says what is the cause for you to think that that is a snake yes when that is after all a lifeless rope and swami says that darkness has created that feeling that you know that impression that there is a snake lying there so where there was no snake your ignorance has imposed a snake on a rope exactly and swami says that's what is with life where there is no world your ignorance has imposed multiplicity in the form of this world on that oneness exactly uh, another way of looking at it really is that there is something left unexamined over there right that right. is there is a notion you created the notion that there is a snake in your imagination that is a snake and you have failed to examine that notion it's almost like a superstition for you right right uh, not for you for for you it's a belief for me it's a superstition 
right for, for an observer third yeah. man who is observing for the third man yeah for the for the observer uh, it it is it looks to him that this subject is basically having a sub, uh, a superstition right so that is because there is something unexamined in fact socrates says that a life that is lived in an unexamined way is not a life worth living okay so in the uh, popular uh, parlance of what we if, we if we read up these texts on advaita they refer to it by another term mm-hmm. so they they don't talk about examining they say there is unmindfulness okay the flaw here of the person who perceives the snake is something called unmindfulness okay in the sense that he is not brought his mind to bear upon it he is acting in a very automatic like a machine or the person is not in charge okay it's like his what they call as a lizard brain no the lizard brain is at work okay so the reflex what they call is the amygdala so within seconds you you have a perception that is a snake and your brain takes over that's it so whatever happens after that is not within your uh, control really hari even as you were describing this it's exactly what we do with our lives and daily relationships and situations yes, it, it, uh, and we are doing it every moment if we walk out of the studio now i think every person we see and you know if we are thoughtful something else is happening in our mind we might not recognize it but otherwise every person who we see we are every moment creating an image exactly. you know making a judgment and letting other thoughts build on it this is yeah this is something that is constant and that is something we are not present to right there's a voice we're just letting head. it happen yes there is in fact there is a voice in our head that keeps on doing this on a continuous basis even right now it could be happening i would i'd invite the listener to actually take a moment and look at like so far in the talk or even as he's listening he or she is listening to us right now so what is going on in this mind is like is this true like uh, no, maybe we can just right? voice some <clears throat> thoughts like that maybe somebody is sitting and thinking that you know what uh, what abstruse yeah uh, this is like beyond me or somebody might be thinking that you know these guys they don't follow anything they're talking to us about all this I, yeah. i'm just saying that anything might be going on in their mind yeah. there were some people might be thinking that uh, it's a wrong topic to take for this yes, one yes. maybe this should have been taken if this had been taken they would have spoken about that and if they had spoken yeah. about that maybe i would have heard this i think that's what what i'm trying to say is is a whole it's like an express train of thought yeah so and I, you're building so much on something which is not existent just like how you build the fear of you know uh, what to do when you see that rope yes thinking that it is a snake Yeah. that is what we do every moment yeah like like let's take you know very practical example okay, okay? so <clears throat> let's say that there's a business meeting that is going on okay. all right so this business meeting is like it's about a new project right that they want to take up mm-hmm. and uh, so the boss is there and he calls for ideas from the team okay a Now brainstorming team, session a brainstorming session yes right so in this team say you are there mm-hmm. and there's a close friend of yours and of course other associates uh, of the business So they are all sitting there at this business meeting. Now you have an idea that is totally brilliant, according to you. This is okay. this is exactly what is required for the project to take off. And then you come, you present that idea, and hardly have you finished uh, talking about your idea okay. when your best friend mm-hmm. sitting right next to you in the meeting, mm-hmm. he says, "You know, I don't think his idea will work. I have something else uh, to propose," and he goes on to propose something. uh in the meeting and then the boss says yes this is exactly what i was looking for let us go according to this no mention of the idea that uh, you placed. made no acknowledgement of that now look at this scenario let us freeze okay and sort of go into each one's head okay so start thinking about what is going on in the head of the friend all that 
that happened according to him his version is that there was an idea i disagreed with and i gave a what a, i felt was a better better yeah a replacement idea luckily the boss accepted it okay this he is not making any judgment mm-hmm. that this idea is better than mine the boss is happy that he has found something to take the project ahead with he may not be really paying attention to who gave the idea now look at your thoughts they have gone in an altogether very very different direction and the first thought that has perhaps occurred to you is one of rejection yeah your idea has not been accepted yes go ahead like you are in that place start okay. uh, thinking i think about the, yeah first thing is you know here was a brilliant idea coming from me and it was mm-hmm. rejected okay the second thing might be is this boss is a dull bit mm-hmm. okay he's not able to recognize my brilliant idea okay okay i mean i might start forming impressions about the boss yes and the other decisions he would make in the future yes because he's a dull bit who rejected my idea 3 mm-hmm. months back yeah second thing is how how could my friend do this to me my own friend you know I, if, if it was somebody else i can understand my own friend how could he put me, yeah and put me down in front of all these people and he's been waiting for this opportunity yes there might have been a session where i would have discussed this idea with him before mm-hmm. so he knows the idea before mm-hmm. and he thought of something better yeah. or what he thinks is better exactly if you contrast this with really what was going what on happened? in the boss mind and in the mind of it looks so weird your thoughts look completely weird they're not in touch with what really happened out there and this is in fact true of each one of us i can take another example a very common example this the interaction say between a teenager and his mother okay okay so the teenager is there at his computer he is uh, working away or watching some video or whatever mother comes into his room and says i'll tell you that the mother might say that mm-hmm. will you just put off the tv and and come and cut these vegetables for me yes so that she calls calls him for some errand okay now go ahead mm-hmm. so what what are the reactions in your mind so uh, what would be the mother's time to save electricity <laughs> okay i mean she's not giving me the freedom it's after all my holiday and yeah it's my life uh, yeah it's uh, my life she's cutting off my life yeah she's and dominating me <laughs> so these are some of the feelings and uh, see this is not unreal Liz, we all been through the teenage life i mean as we been teenagers before and we know that these are some of the thoughts we look back we think oh so foolish but at that moment those feelings are so 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 real for each one of us and actually there are extremes like how uh, depending on that the child's nature mm. the reactions are extreme yes there might be a very very bad verbal squabble there and mm. people might storm out of the room yes and you know it can get even worse very yeah. ugly and we see in the world today this is what and is happening said, all is based on something which you perceive which you mm. imagine yourself yeah it might not be what was there in the mother's mind exactly. it might not have been what was there in the person who's i mean if you add another person a father sitting there and mm. observing this whole scene he might not have you know seen this as uh, the way you see it exactly so if you look into the world today really uh, prem you'll find a number of such instances broken homes where a son doesn't talk to his mother a son doesn't talk to his father or husbands and wives who have separated from each other or brothers or between brothers and sisters some what we you know an outsider calls as a misunderstanding something that can be patched up right but at that moment of re- rejection humiliation when you feel threatened you make certain decision a decision that i don't want to be hurt again in this way <laughs> and you can notice the implications of this that we are not able to love the people around us in a whole hearted in a full manner we hold ourselves back out of this fear of rejection isn't it so where does this fear of rejection come from again that 
same feeling of separation that i am not one with them and the feelings so what we have done right now is that all those thoughts all those feelings that we had at that moment you literally gone with them as if they were the truth right we have left them unexamined and right. that is that's the word unexamined that, that unmindfulness or that not examining our thoughts our feelings that has what has led to this decision that i will not love somebody or i'll not talk to them henceforth i will not trust them anymore i'll not yeah i i cannot trust them anymore exactly so i mean as i said it's very important to talk about this issue because uh, this is what we see in society today a lot of broken homes a lot of broken relationships and particularly because of this kind of misconception in fact there's a beautiful model you know okay. that that uh, describes this kind of uh, misconception you can look at it as if there are two circles okay okay so one circle i'll label it as what happened the incident the incident the, in- the factual the factual happening. story just you know like a, a reporter's a journalist story no opinions no judgments okay. no recording of feelings or emotions mm. so if you look at the teenager story all that happened was the mother came in and uh, the son was watching the tv or uh, looking at his computer mm-hmm. mother said i have an errand for you simple simple fact <laughs> okay. now look at what what is your story as a teenager what was the teenager's story mm-hmm. of what happened mm-hmm. so now when you write a story you got you got to have a lot of drama in it mm-hmm. so the drama includes like apart from what happened it also includes some emotions mm-hmm. it includes the feelings mm-hmm. so can you describe the story about the whole thing what is the story mm-hmm. the story will include the story will include that every time when i sit down to see this program every time every time every time yes and and, and it you fix it in your mind every time yeah. whether it's every time or not every time it is every time and she hates me you know there are dialogues yeah. like that she hates me you are curtailing she, she my she wouldn't freedom. do this to my brother ah <laughs> beautiful <laughs> exactly you know whenever he sees she doesn't call him yeah so now all this looks very funny do you know what that teenager has done he has collapsed these two circles <clears throat> the two circles are what happened and the story that we make out of it these two collapse sometimes they might be overlapping <laughs> yeah in you know? general actually you'd like to keep them separate <laughs> right just stick with what happened don't bring in your emotions your feelings into it but this is what the teenager did or let's not keep that so abstract this is what we do in a general sense we collapse these two into one circle which is our reality mm-hmm. and we completely operate from this reality right and all our actions all the weird actions all decisions that we take they completely follow from this one collapse and from this our uh, version of the reality <laughs> okay how do we apply this into our daily life so i looked at one example now swami has many times in his discourses he talked about uh, how we should have our relationship with our parents and he used to consider this as most important he would say sometimes if you cannot understand the love of your mother how can you go on to understand the love of god who is that of Who of a thousand, thousand mothers, mothers right so and uh, all the time i never used to i used to say okay i've got you know a decent uh, relationship with my father with my mother i, I just remember once in a moment of <laughs> you know devotional fervor one boy said uh, uh-huh. told to swami that swami <clears throat> i want to see god in everyone mm. you know when will i reach the state of seeing god in everyone mm. and swami literally put him off by saying first see god in your mother and father yes because that's what the scriptures that's say that's the most difficult thing to do i think for most of us yeah yeah 
in the shikshavali it is said no matru devo bhava pitru devo bhava these are not by accident they don't say these right. things in a, uh, just to keep society going it's not a going. casual statement it's not a casual statement it has a very very important bearing and today psychological experiments really confirm that mm-hmm. that about 80% of the problems that you face in your life are because of a broken relationship with your parents <laughs> because the parents are your source god is your source uh, your parents are your source and it is like you know you, uh, they say it is like there's a fan and it, you see it moving the blades are moving but the plug has been pulled out when the relationship with the parents is broken the plug has been pulled out okay that fan is going to stop at some time some point time of time either. so our life work they say our life's work when our relationship with our parents is healed it 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 is continuous we are one literally one with our parents okay. and i had to confront this with my own father mm-hmm. at some point of time i realized that there was a distance between my father and i we both were staying in the same house under <laughs> okay. the same roof and uh, you know nobody could say they would say ah the father and no son are close no other than you yes no where did i see this distance you see it would happen this way supposing he uh, he had a trip to make he would go out of town okay and uh, it would be like when he is going out casually say ha bye and you know so then uh, the whole the entire week i would never even think about him like you know what is he doing okay. like is he is he okay i hope you know he is resting mm-hmm. i hope he has taken his food like i wonder whether he is enjoying himself i hope nothing is troubling him none of these ideas would really uh, occur to me okay none of these thoughts would come to me i would lead my own existence very separate from my father's existence no connection no connection at all and then he would come back and say ah you have uh, come back and hopefully he's got some sweets for me <laughs> so that is uh, the kind of relationship i had with my father and i had to confront that very strongly and when i did that introspection i realized one thing and i i i sat down and i did this i wrote a very long letter to him okay so in that letter i acknowledged him for all the things that he had done for me the way he had raised me as to be hard working uh to respect others to be a person of integrity to respect the vedas he 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 had uh, he had he taught, taught me the vedas. he had taught me the vedas so these are the things that i acknowledge him for and then i had to acknowledge the kind of the wrong kind of image that i had constructed of my father as somebody who did not care for me he was more a disciplinarian so i felt that, that quite often happens yes in one's relationship with the father father like the father does not indulge the child because it's easier to see the love of a mother mother yes so the father's uh, love is a tough love <laughs> that we don't sense the way we the sense the you know loving care caring kind of love that a mother gives mother gives i had not acknowledged him for the sacrifices that he had made so right. so these these were some of the things and i remember i ended the letter with with and a promise you to were him. able to <clears throat> come up with these things because you sat down to examine them exactly that's that's a main point really it uh, i did not you know live life on automatic i decided that let me look at this aspect right. let me let me throw my mind uh, let my mind bear on this aspect for a while and that's when i saw that uh, this was a kind of very false relationship i had with my father and it's transformed so much now my father talks to me about issues that he has he has okay. really issues from his past and 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 uh, as i said when he goes out it's like if i don't call he's going to call me and uh, talk to me i mean it's it's very very interesting that the change that you have made yes you can actually see the change from the people around you exactly so I mean, you don't have to go and change the people around you 
yeah it's the change in perception which you made to your own self hmm. reflects itself in the people around you exactly swami said everything is reflection right. reaction resound so that's something about you which you clear up the muck that you clear out of yourself is what gives freedom to others so imagine that that is the responsibility that we have why spirituality is given to us so that we give literally give freedom <laughs> to the people around us and one thing that really struck me about all this that if i had not done this my father would never never have realized how much his son acknowledges what he had done very true that is something we leave totally unacknowledged and imagine when we do that to our parents how much we are doing that with god himself right how much of what god does for us is left unacknowledged unacknowledged so let us begin a small beginning is really acknowledging our parents uh, in this fashion and a similar thing with my colleague i i remember we both were working on we working together but on two different uh, projects okay and uh, for some reason he was not able to gain any progress in what he was doing in very smart guy usually very capable and uh, the funny thing was not the, they were not asking him why he was failing for some strange reason people are asking me hey why is that guy failing why is he not able to do and i, okay. I used i used to give the explanation but internally i used to think you know what why are they asking me and you are not part of that project also. i am not part of that project that is his uh, business his responsibility right. why on earth are they asking me but nothing happens without a coincidence there is some reason <laughs> and as i sat down to think why is this happening then i realized that in the past there had been a like an incident between us where i felt that you know he was trying to get the better of me he wanted me to fail and now as revenge i in internally deep internally i would always talk very cordially very nicely you know we are capable of that <laughs> no it's like putting ice cream over dung that's our behavior <laughs> so this is how i was behaving very cordially with him and then it struck me the lack of authenticity in this so i sat down with him and i confessed to him that in my mind this this was how i had interpreted that event that event in the past mm-hmm. and i was seeking revenge for that internally you know that i wanted him to fail literally fail and the moment i said that and it sort of uh, you know something got dropped between us mm-hmm. there was a new kind of uh, closeness rapport uh, mm-hmm. between us and for me more important most importantly for me he succeeded in his project oh yes and just like this what when you said that there's something i had cleared within myself and the followed that i saw which gave me great happiness was that he succeeded in his project those are the very powerful uh, implications and, and actually you, you know many great sages saints when we actually examine some of the words which they have spoken yes. it actually reflects these ideas that you know the change you make in yourself you will see it in others yes and the most famous and the most beautiful example is that of what swami says mm-hmm. about the man who walks into a room of mirrors mm-hmm. and the dog which walks into the room of mirrors yes yes i think one of the the basic traits of a spiritual man is that when he looks at some uh, incoherence outside mm-hmm. he looks for the same thing inside and tries to correct it yes and this is based on that feeling of oneness oneness yes. that you know that when i set things right in the home within mm-hmm. yeah then there's harmony outside yeah like you, it, it's like uh, you look in the mirrors you see you know some different versions of you in one version the you know the hair is not combed another version the tie is set not is not set right in another uh, image you notice that the you know the shoe shoe is not polished now who needs to do the combing who needs to do the polishing none of it has to do with the image it has to do with you that oneness uh, when we realize this habit of seeking faults with others 
or speaking ill of others swami used to say that that is paradoshanam he used to say that that is one of the biggest ills and again we see that paradoshanam is totally consistent <laughs> with our idea that we are separate from so when swami says paradoshanam we i think concentrate more on doshanam the mistake Doshas. of finding mistake but actually the mistake lies in feeling that para para oh feeling wonderful. that somebody Absolutely. is different from you fantastic yes and it's easier to say that okay i will not find mistake in, in the other person exactly so this is uh, you know all that it needs now you might be thinking uh, the listener or you and i we might be thinking of all these times in our past when we have been in the modern parlance we have been jerks <laughs> right in that sense so you know yeah when we look back at our relationship with our parents or when we have behaved rudely with a colleague yeah we been bad with a neighbor when we look at all that and honestly examine yes. so much of it might be a projection of your own imagination imagination exactly so not only that you see now one feeling that would come up is guilt you know but uh, and and the sense there's a, the the sense of okay now really i've done so many things and this is the way i live is there any chance for me you know like we are talking about advaita oneness with god and here i am totally a jerk <laughs> so what can i do about it i mean okay. is there something that i can yeah, do right. or can i totally resign and say okay like spirituality is not for me i am a jerk <laughs> one uh, thing that i heard a uh, very powerful statement mm-hmm. that let's keep swami out of this swami is the avatar he is the godhead but if you look at divine masters right. people who we regard as masters or like very enlightened leaderships uh, leadership that is provided by somebody and the fact of the matter is that masters are not you know people who consider themselves as being divine all the time they're not beyond mistakes <clears throat> they're not beyond mistakes in fact they're catching themselves being jerks perhaps every 5 seconds or so we are the exact opposite we are jerks who consider ourselves as masters <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a secret of being a master the secret of being a master is to acknowledge your uh, you know tendency to be a jerk and the moment you notice it you stop being a jerk that is the beauty of right. it i mean we started off by talking of adi shankara being one of the yes. uh, torch bearers of the advaitic philosophy yes. in fact he himself went through this process of catching himself being a jerk literally yes, yes. you know when he was going on a pilgrimage a chandala comes and stands mm. uh, in his way mm. and he and his disciple kind of shoo him away you saying that you're a low born mm. don't come in our way mm. and then the chandala says a very beautiful saying that do you want this body which is made of bones and flesh to move away or do you want the dehi the indweller, indweller. do you want him to move because if you talk of the dehi he is beyond birth and death yes so and that is when he realizes that oh god i am actually going against my own uh, philosophy yes so that is a very beautiful story in, in, and we must take a lesson from that that the science of mastery or the art of mastery is not in like in mastering <laughs> yeah is not in mastering it is ba- basically being able to see our humanness in happening every few seconds and the moment we catch that and is the same with uh, advaita the mm-hmm. idea of separation so the question is like uh, in our experience can we be in the state of oneness i cannot answer for the future but right now your access to the feeling of oneness is catching yourself whenever you are going through that idea that somebody is separate and that is okay. where that examination becomes more important precisely it is not being in the state of oneness but how often and or how diligently you are able to examine every uh, thought of yours every reaction of yours yeah not not to go blindly with any thought right. in fact uh, i i heard this analogy being given okay as to how supposing you are walking up a street uh, mm-hmm. 
how you don't tend to bump into the people uh, who are walking say in the opposite direction right, i think it quite happens quite often after bhajans when you take that east prashanti uh, lane which is quite narrow mm. and people will be coming from the opposite direction yeah so there's a there's a wonderful thing yeah most most of us can identify with that so imagine that yeah you're walking up that street people are coming down the opposite direction so you look at yourself you're not a weird guy so what are you going to do is you're going to find your way between the people you i'm very sure that you can say at the end of that stretch i didn't collide with a single person right and they say that is the way we have to deal with the thoughts we have to find a way between the thoughts not go with them that is a mistake that we tend to make there is a thought some crazy thought that that occurs okay that person hates me and we completely we ride on that thought no matter where <laughs> it takes us so we, the thing is we suffer it the most exactly like that if that person has no <laughs> hatred for you he is going to go on with his life yeah. but thinking that he hates me and thinking that this is how he will be thinking when i do this yes and it will be altering so much of your actions and so much of your thinking so that that thought literally hijacks our life literally I mean, it's it it's a perfect reflection of that rope mm. and snake analogy yes where what was not present was making you think of so many things and maybe you might have started running behind and tripped and fallen you know things like that it's mm. literally that's what we're doing every day with our daily life yeah we quite uh, should i say <laughs> we are catching ourselves being jerks right now right now yes <laughs> so hari i think we'll just take a quick break now we, i'll play a very nice song again yeah. and come back and there's another question which is <coughs> troubling me mm-hmm. and maybe i'll put it to you and we'll see if we can get some clarity about that okay मन से न्यारे हो न 
beautiful song by saint kabir oh okay as <laughs> wondering what is the source of that song okay good yeah the question which i was wanting to ask you about yeah from what you said it is important to analyze every moment like suppose there is a person let us say a roommate of mine mm-hmm. not to go by the first impression which he creates yeah and to examine every action to say that I mean is he really doing this to put me down is he really doing this you know as a friend or is there any as you said maybe analyzing every uh, reaction and every action of his not acting on not acting on it immediately yeah. unless you have broken down that uh, thing to facts mm-hmm. and you can really take what is the right thing yeah. which is supposed to be taken from it right if you put a guru in that place mm-hmm. or if you put swami in that place mm-hmm. are we supposed to do the same thing because swami says that you know you should have faith in me okay and most often what we have to do with swami okay. is examine his actions based on that faith right you have to examine his action based on that feeling that whatever swami does is good for me yeah okay but what right. what you're asking us to do here mm-hmm. for other people is quite the contrary yeah it's a really deep thought that you brought out and this brings us to something uh, in advaitic philosophy they hold as very sacred mm-hmm. one of the most important tenets uh, that they hold on to okay the aspect of the guru so they say that a guru is absolutely necessary for you to achieve that liberation or to, not to achieve liberation they say you are always liberated but to break free from the thought that you are in bondage for that a guru has to point the way among all things they say the guru is important so then the question that you you came up with right now if everything is an illusion so is the guru right <coughs> that's another question which will come because if the world is an illusion yeah the avatar who comes in the world the guru who is comes to guide illusion. you is also an illusion is an illusion but in advaita what they say is that the guru is the one aspect of the illusion that you must hold on to as uh, they say you know like there's a famous story of how dronacharya removed the ball in the mahabharata right uh, there is that uh, episode that uh, the pandavas are playing in, near the well mm-hmm. and the ball has fallen in deep into the well right and uh, then we see that how uh, yeah. you know just takes straws <coughs> and exactly and keeps building one into the other and with that he extricates that ball uh, out of that well right so they say it literally you need a thorn or a, a nail to remove another nail or okay. a, a thorn to remove another thorn from in your it is a thorn that is stuck in your flesh right they say that you need another thorn to remove it the thorn you could it could be a pin or you know something like that but right, right. you need a sharp object nevertheless so 
so in very much the same it is an an illusion a one part of the illusion which we call as a guru what they say is that the one who is the brahman he manifests as a guru to lead you back to himself right <laughs> quite uh, beautifully illustrated in a small dialogue which happened between dr hislop and swami mm-hmm. dr hislop i think most of our listeners will be aware conversations with baba or my baba and i some of the most beautiful literature on swami because he was a true aspirant you know he came to swami as a seeker okay i think we all have become seekers after coming to swami but he came <laughs> to swami as a seeker he sought and he found swami mm. so the kind of uh, questions he posed to swami were very deep mm. and uh, it's very useful for people like us and one of the questions he asked is this mm. you know he asked swami that swami is it true that everything that i see the world around me is a dream mm. and swami said yeah everything that you see is a dream mm. okay and then he said swami then you too have taken a form in this dream yes okay then how can you be more real than the dream yes and swami says yeah even i am part of the dream even this form is part of the dream mm. but then swami said i am the lion in your dream who which has come to roar you out of your sleep oh, into that's, reality that's so beautiful no literally when you see a lion or something <laughs> scary in your dream yes <laughs> you woken out of that dream right yeah yeah he, he said that is what the snappers out of our dream so literally. but of course i think he's not as harsh as harsh a harsh as a lion <laughs> very sweet lion if, if there is some <laughs> team and uh, there is one and coming uh, back to this uh, yeah, guru thing mm-hmm. you were saying about uh, the role of a guru in advaita yeah does it say that this rule doesn't apply to the guru <laughs> that examining a guru's action every now and then Uh, essentially what is said about the guru as swami himself said mm-hmm. you can examine him for a while swami has given us a right he doesn't say the moment you look at me fall for me blindly none right. of that sort what he says is you examine me for a while he allows you to test him right it's in our experience you would have experienced that i have experienced that mm-hmm. that uh, we test swami like are you god if you are god do this for me <laughs> right and that happens so god uh, swami will accede uh, to such tests he will prove to you that he is god after that he wants your faith in him to be complete let's say in a sense in our normal everyday life you have accepted him as your coach Fine. if you are an athlete you have accepted him as a coach now after that it does not become of you to uh, start questioning the coach in everything that he tells you he may ask you to run uh, you know 1000 meters every day on a cold morning you will say say no I'll, i'll catch a cold then none of his business and none of your business so right after you have accepted swami as your guru as someone who's going to lead you right after that there is what is appropriate for you to do then is to follow every action or every teaching or every command every direction that swami says without question to take it on complete 100% faith right before that you got every right you can test him examine him right after it you take him as your guru no more that has to cease that's a beautiful thing because you know when you say you look at him as a coach yeah and when you play swami in any of these roles when you say swami is a mother when you say swami is a teacher he is the perfection of that role yes. like if you say a mother it's not like i mean we see mothers who are faulty mm-hmm. but swami is like the perfect mother yes. so when you say a coach is a perfect coach who knows exactly what he is doing so you might have worldly coaches who can go wrong but he yes. is a coach whose only motive is your welfare yes in fact all that advaita says is that they even give us these uh, uh, sort of uh, how to how to choose a guru i mean the manual <laughs> <laughs> okay so one of the things they say is that uh, the guru must be one who is established in brahman and okay. uh, we know swami that 
he was never separate i mean they they say swami never had to do any particular uh, sadhana to be where he is swami was not a seeker he was born perfect he was never uh, away from brahman he, he never had that illusion <laughs> that he is separate from ourselves which is why every you know if when you examine every action of swami is the way he lived his life it is totally consistent with that he never looked at himself as a body separate from the people around him or as versatile as a god uh, who is far superior to the you know inferior uh, <laughs> Uh, i mean like people ignorant people uh, under him that was not it he all he said very remarkable statement i am god and you too are god is <laughs> like some one of my classmates were pointing out it's such a counter marketing statement it seems yes we want to market yourself okay you say you're god yeah but the very next statement you're putting everybody else in the same plane where you're removing yeah. all the speciality that you stand for yeah nothing great about myself so you too are god <laughs> yeah but that actually places a lot of responsibility on us because what we we like to play the role of like i am ignorant you know everything <laughs> but we never take on responsibility for being consistent our actions being consistent with our being divine even as you say this i'm reminded of the uh, thing you were telling about bhagavad gita how mm. we tend to look at bhagavad gita <laughs> yes we tend to look at bhagavad gita we read it as if we are arjuna so we are very happy that krishna is making like bumper sticker statements like you you are uh, the atman that cannot be cut by a sword that cannot be burned by fire that cannot be uh, wetted by water but the real sadhana of reading bhagavad gita comes when we stand in the place of lord krishna right and when we stand in the place of lord krishna and we really experience we really experience ourselves to be that entity which cannot be touched by fire which cannot be wet by water which cannot be cut by a sword that is when we truly understand what the gita was all about otherwise we just look at it as the one who is being instructed exactly and we never get the full import of the gita yeah because as students we are like very free to take notes or play games uh, as we wish there is no responsibility and as students you to it. you tend to think that taking notes ends my responsibility yes yeah, something is in the <laughs> syllabus something is out of the syllabus it's very interesting uh, hari because you know uh, <laughs> one of our seniors mm-hmm. who actually went on to do a research on leadership in mahabharata okay swami asked him to give a talk on mahabharata in kodaikanal mm-hmm. okay and he gave a very uh, intellectual talk because he had the basis of his whole research work behind him right and at the end of it swami asked who's the hero of mahabharata mm-hmm. Okay, and instantaneously he said, "Swami Arjuna is the hero." Okay. And Swami said, "False. It's really wrong. This is what you have learned after all the research." Mm-hmm. Swami said, "Arjuna is not the hero of Mahabharat. Mm-hmm. Krishna is the hero of Mahabharat." Oh. When I, you know, juxtaposed it with what you were saying, uh-huh. you know, when you see a movie, <coughs> I think all of us identify ourselves with the hero of the movie, yes. not with the hero's brother or, you know, hero's friend. Yes, yes. We always identify ourselves with the hero, the main, the protagonist of the movie, mm. and. as you said when we read the bhagavad gita we all see arjuna as the hero yeah that's why we all kind of you know uh, relate to arjuna's arjuna, plight arjuna yeah but what swami wants us to do is to see ourselves as krishna yeah in fact uh, i'd invite you to uh, look back or think or even watch a video of say some people who stood for a group photograph with swami maybe i i have uh, you would right, have, have had all of us would have had some opportunity you would remember that perhaps you would have tried to stand with your hands folded or perhaps one of your friends colleague brothers somebody would have tried to do that you remember what a swami's yeah. reaction he would immediately uh, 
no slap that hand and ask that person to stand just the way that swami was swami standing, standing. <laughs> there was there was no question of used uh, of at that time standing as a devotee and god he wanted us to stand beside him just in the same image as he was he did not want that to come out that you are different from me and uh, this this as i said is a great responsibility on us so there is no question of reading all the philosophical treatises and saying that ah, okay good or going them quoting them or talking them about them in our you know our as swami used to say platform heroes <laughs> so all this you might do and for your satisfaction but the real test the that comes when you can apply it in your daily lives and see what difference you are making as how much oneness you are feeling with the people around you how less hatred how much less jealousy how much less agitation you have in your mind that would be your measure of to what extent these teachings you have really put into your daily life and you are your own measure you have to be so authentic with yourself that you know going back to that <coughs> analogy of a uh, brainstorming session hmm? i mean if i am sitting there and i am giving an idea and somebody else is putting that idea down and giving another one hmm. if i am really thinking that all of us are the same one entity yes it would be something like what's happening in my head yes. so many times hmm. an idea comes up and then you say no no this is not the idea because this has these flaws hmm. maybe this idea is better maybe that is what is happening outside of us Precisely. outside of what we think is us yes yes is me yeah so if i'm going to look at a person who is giving an idea which is contrary to mine i might just think that okay this is also coming from me yeah but it's coming from a different uh, in a different form yeah and uh, really prem you have uh, ignited a memory of something very powerful that had uh, happened in my life okay now i wouldn't say i'm conversant with advaita but i've read uh, a lot of uh, you know the advaita philosophy there was a time when uh, when i started reading this when i thought this is like so difficult so uh, and at time so contradictory and i used to think that uh, okay so i am in all and say somebody is crossing in front of me i would say oh that is me crossing in myself <laughs> i used to joke about it that you know this advaita philosophy is not something for me and yet i i try to continue reading so there are so many uh, like swami's discourses then the teachings of ravan maharishi the teachings of nisargadatta maharaj so all these are very uh, let's say hardcore right. advaitins and i used to read about their lives their message their teachings and it still didn't strike me like what does it mean to say that let's say a statement like i am in all <laughs> that i am not distinct from uh, anyone so i remember one night uh, really agonizing over this and then i just went to sleep and the morning the, i had a dream like as just before i was waking up i had a dream that uh, basically there is an argument going on between a couple of friends and uh, me so i am talking and there is a counterpoint raised and harsh voices harsh and loud voices all this is going on and then for some reason suddenly it occurred to me that the voices that are speaking in my friends they are all mine i got, i felt it very okay. strongly that the, the it it sounded like my voice at to begin with and uh, uh, i realized that when i am not talking basically it is me talking through my friends because it is my voice right and with that i think it really uh, boggled my mind so much that i snapped out of my uh, <laughs> of my sleep there was your lion's roar <laughs> lion's roar i i woke up and even as i woke up i heard a voice saying that this is the way in which you exist in the different uh, people that you see around you is literally like 
when somebody else is speaking it is like i i am lending my voice right to that person making him speak i am the impeller so to speak so that experience it really shook me i remember for a week that uh, when a person would talk to me i i could not properly react because i was thinking this is me talking like it really got right. me that uh, the the whole illusion of how this world exists as how we are the ones who are activating even the people around us and so there's no sense of uh, separateness right. that that was a very strong it, it lasted for a week and it, like it left an imprint uh, in my mind in that sense yeah, i mean at the end of this uh, discussion hari what i can see is you talk about advaita the concept of non dualism mm-hmm. there are two things one is reaching that state reaching that state and being in that state of oneness mm. and the other is that the fact is given to you yes. this is the reality this is you know, whether you are at that state or you're not at that state this yeah. is the reality there is only one correct see if you can apply it to all that you do yes so what we spoke of is actually how to apply this fact yeah. because swami has proved it time and again swami has given some amazing experience to people to to reiterate this fact that mm-hmm. this is the reality and i'm reminded of what happened with the one of swami's senior devotees in the interview room mm-hmm. swami was talking something about uh, advaita and wisdom and he has this question swami all this you say is fine but how do i know that it is true and how do i know it as an experience swami said oh you want experience literally you know, swami said oh you want to have an experience he said no swami but i cannot relate to it unless i feel it you know otherwise it's only a, a philosophy in textbooks to me so swami said okay i will show you mm-hmm. and swami called him near and swami just whispered in his ear tatvam asi it is that mahavakya which says that you are that no tatvam asi tatvam asi you are that and that moment he was transported into that state of oneness oh and he was saying that he was not <coughs> able to see anything other than that one yes of course he was seeing it as swami because he had imagined swami as the ultimate one mm-hmm. he was seeing himself as swami you seeing everybody around him as swami mm-hmm. he was seeing even the objects inanimate objects as swami oh and he lasted in that uh, state for 3 days oh and then it went away and then literally he became so agitated after that he came running to swami and said swami why did you take that experience away okay <laughs> swami said no this is just to show you that it is real so that you will yeah. strive and reach that state and be in that state exactly so the actually i would sometimes i feel that uh, the great masters and avatars they descend basically to divert our minds away from our mundane existence because right. the mundane existence is a very business as usual existence there's it goes on i mean there's nothing special that you have to do you'll find a job you'll find money all these things happen so we are not mindful they exist they come and break our sense of what is common sense or <laughs> our sense of what is true what is false and they open our window into something that lies beyond which you never perceived so that that is why the advaitin say that hold on to the guru because he is the one who will lead you to break through that literally to that shell of uh, ignorance and if you look at uh, swami's gnanavaini mm-hmm. there he says on point which actually really struck me where swami mm-hmm. was talking about the fourth state which you have to cross over to mm. reach the ultimate wisdom mm. and swami says that is a state of bliss bliss swami says rasa swadana mm-hmm. that you will be in a state of bliss and you will get attached to that bliss oh and swami says that is why you need a guru because a guru alone can tell you that this also is not the ultimate exactly because since we have not experienced bliss till then when we are flooded by that bliss we think that yes we've reached the place yes yes and swami says that is why your guru is important the guru is able to see that you have not reached the state yes and who is able to you know prod you to go forward yes that is the importance of guru and 
really there's no words to express how grateful we are that you know swami himself has taken upon this duty of being our master and as he said there are people who come to god as seekers hmm. but we are people who have been drawn to god and now we are seeking yeah, because we know that there is something more to swami and in that search to find out what swami really stood for hmm. what swami really spoke i think that is what is turning us to look at things like advaita vedanta whatever yes yes so uh, in that sense like uh, so we should offer our gratitude to swami that we had our the sadguru himself right as guru we directly have brahman himself who is leading us in other it perhaps it would be you know a, a realized soul but in our case it was brahman himself somebody who had never come out of that state he was never ignorant <laughs> perhaps other masters have made the journey from being ignorant to being realized but with swami he there's no question of even realization he was always that his reminder to us is that we are also never ignorant <laughs> we too are always that so that is the message that swami has given each one of us so thank you hari i thank you on behalf of all our listeners it was wonderful having you here yeah i i really had a very good time i enjoyed and this journey uh, we really hope all the listeners to enjoyed <laughs> what we had to offer here dear listeners this is our take on our attempt to understand this vast philosophy as we started off by saying it's very abstruse and no one can claim to know this in entirety and as i was telling hari before there's a beautiful little story mm. it says there's a seeker who goes to an ashram and wants to find out uh, what is the ultimate truth mm. he wants to know what is the ultimate truth mm. so on the way he meets one of the uh, sadhakas one of the inmates of the ashram mm. and he asks him should have you discovered what's the ultimate truth what is the reality in this world mm. so then he gets a 45 minutes discourse from this man mm-hmm. he says see this is how it is this is how it is and gives a detailed description of spirituality and then he says that you no know, you go in my master is there inside i'm just a disciple the master is there you go and ask him he will be able to tell you better so he goes and the master who is given this knowledge to so many people is seated there and uh, this man goes and asks him what is the ultimate reality and the master says i don't know <laughs> <laughs> So it's the disciples who can talk for exactly. hours together about Advaita. The real seekers and the real masters are, as you said, still catching themselves every moment when they go astray, yes. and who are making every endeavor to stay in that state of oneness. So, dear listeners, in that sense, what we have offered you is a, a very humble effort at looking at these teachings of Swami. These are not definitely the ultimate. or the complete understanding in in fact uh, i remember swami used to say that those who speak they do not know right <laughs> and those who know they do not speak do not speak <laughs> so I, i i don't think we can consider ourselves anywhere as being close to knowing so but as we said it is important to examine our thoughts examine yes. the way we look at things and that is what we did and we just thought aloud so that you all can be a part of this satsang we would love to know your understandings of this matter and if you have any experience which has led to your understanding we would love to share it with all our listeners you can send in your comments your feedback to listener at radiosai.org so with this we conclude this week's afternoon satsang this is prem from team radio sai and with me is brother hari shankar who we are very grateful to that he could make it to this satsang we offer a humble pranams at bhagwan's lotus feet for giving us this opportunity and i'm going to leave you with a wonderful song This is a shloka written by Adi Shankara a very beautiful song and a very beautiful way to end this satsang thank you happy listening mano buddhya hankara chetaninam 
न च श्रोत्रजे न च घ्राणनेत्रे न च व्योम भूमि न तेजो न वायु चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम न चाण संयो नवे पंचवायु नवासाप्तु नवा पंचकोश नवा पाणिपाद न चोपस्तपायु चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम न मे द्वेशो न मे लोभमोह मदो नात्सर्य भाव न धर्मो न चाथो न कामो न मोषा चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम न पुण्यम न पापम न सौख्यम न दुखम न मंत्रो न तीर्थम न अहम् भोजनम् नैव भोजम न भोक्ता चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम न मे मृत्युशंका न मे जाति पिता नैव मे नैव माता न जन्मा न बंधु न मित्रम गुरु नैवशिष्य चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम चिदानंदूप शिवोहम शिवोहम अहम निर्विकल्पो 
निराकार रूप विभुर्व्याप्य सर्वत्र सर्वेन्द्रियाणी सदा मे समत्वम् Sairam, you just heard an episode of our radio series, Afnoon Satsang. This is a live discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics and today's episode was first featured as part of Radio Sai's Thursday Live at 12.30pm on February 7th, 2013. You can mail us your comments and feedback to listener at radiosai.org. Sairam. Sairam.